Brennan's Log, where theology, philosophy, and culture meet sci-fi at warp speed. This is episode 16, Christian Civility. The toxicity of the current public discourse has reached levels that I've never experienced. Vitriol and seething anger are the new norm, and believers are trying to figure out how to navigate these tumultuous waters. There's much that could be said, and probably less that should be said. But I've tried to think carefully through how to better be salt and light in these chaotic times and humbly offer these points for consideration. I'll begin by addressing what I consider to be some of the key contributing factors. Number one, there is room for anger and lament. I thought it was important to begin with this point because as we have this discussion, some try to argue that we must become like Vulcans and purge all emotion from the conversation. But not only is this impossible, it's not Christ-like. There are injustices that should cause anger. There is sorrow that should move us to tears. This is reality. Jesus turned over tables and dealt rather bluntly with those who made a mockery of his father and his father's house in the name of religion. Ephesians 4.26 offers us a reminder that the new self is angry without sinning. So long as we do not become drunk with anger and lose control, or find ourselves in utter despair, then anger or sorrow can become catalysts for worship and the pursuit of justice. Civility does not preclude passion. Nonetheless, the presence of emotion does not mean the absence of rationality. Which leads to point number two. There is no room for irrationality. While these days may evoke strong emotions, those emotions should not be the driving force in our dialogue. Now, they are certainly a contributing force, but they should not be the driving force. There is a difference. There are several points worth our consideration here, and I hope that you'll uh, be willing to really engage with these as we walk through them. As we consider that there is no room for irrationality, we must also consider this. First, that bias is unavoidable. I am biased. I have preferences, proclivities, and positions that skew how I view things. I look at the world through those lenses, and I form my opinions based upon them rather quickly. So do you. It is unavoidable. Anyone who claims otherwise suffers from hubris. With that being said, while bias is unavoidable, there is a range from lesser to greater, and the only way to make progress towards objectivity is to admit that. If we will simply concede that we are biased, then we can take the initial steps towards objectivity. Secondly, we must also consider that understanding every side is important. Some issues are simple and absolute. Some are complex and nuanced. Knowing the difference and seeking to understand every side of the debate is a step in the right direction, even where there is stark disagreement. Of course, the first step in understanding the other side is being able to see the other side, which requires acknowledgement of bias, as previously mentioned. What happens is, we tend to vilify what we disagree with, 
and we believe if the other side is even given the courtesy of acknowledging validity, then we forfeit our quote-unquote winning argument. The trouble is that if we rely on tactics like shutting down the conversation or vilification of those with which we disagree, then we really haven't won the argument at all. Self-awareness and self-reflection are required in order to understand whether we are demonstrating righteous indignation or self-righteous frustration. Proverbs chapter 18 verses 12 through 13 and then also verses 15 through 21 reads as follows. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Verse 15 to 21. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That passage is helpful in considering what should exemplify Christian civility, particularly in terms of understanding every side. We should be willing to listen. We should be willing to reflect. We should seek knowledge. And of course, we should temper our responses with with humility and with grace. As we further consider what it means to ensure rationality in these types of dialogues, it's also important for us to understand that expertise is for experts. Unfortunately, Christians too often wade into issues that are frankly out of their depth. We simply cannot be experts in theology, philosophy, technology, sociology, psychology, politics, foreign policy, history, entertainment, education, economics, and the list could go on and on. Now, this is not a call for Christians to withdraw from the conversation or even a suggestion that anyone should not express their opinion. Rather, this is a call for believers to be clear about what they do and don't know and to do more research in order to engage with clarity and accuracy. Civility requires consideration and rationality. It doesn't have to be bereft of passion, but it must be tempered with reason. Thirdly, and finally in terms of considering Christian civility, and specifically in the context of the church, I think it's important that we realize as the church that we are in desperate need for simplicity. Churches in the church have experienced mission creep to such a degree that our collective voice has all been but muted. We must reclaim the sacred and simple heritage of equipping the saints, proclaiming the gospel, and loving our neighbor. From that simple place, the people of God can go out as light and salt in a world of darkness and decay. When the church is at its simplest, its impact is actually at its greatest. We've somewhat confused the Great Commission 
with putting our two cents into every conceivable topic. But spreading the gospel is not equivalent to making a lot of political or ethical noise. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 5 says the following, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Civility within the context of the local church means that we are so saturated with the gospel and so equipped for ministry that we actually can go into the culture as salt and light in a way that is gracious, wise, and empowered by the Spirit. So, how does all of this fit together to contribute towards Christian civility? Well, two things that it doesn't mean. First, it doesn't mean that we are Vulcans, that we suppress all of our emotions, all of our passion, all of our zeal, and somehow muddle through this robot-like response to anything that comes across our, our uh, radars. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we are Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Uh, and that we have this caricature-like characteristic built in where we just kind of bumble through and we're, we're maybe passive-aggressive at our boldest, but really we just kind of let people run all over us. Um, and that we just mumble these, these trite cliches all over the place without any real substance or form to what we have to say. So how does it all fit together? It means that our true zeal is for Christ, his gospel and our neighbors, not our own cause or perspective. It means that our passion is tempered with reason and the wisdom that only God provides. It means that our collective spiritual commission remains pure and untainted by the causes of this world. It means that we can speak a strong word, but not a word of hatred. Yet it also means we should speak with humility, but stand for truth wholeheartedly. It means seeking knowledge and striving for wisdom. Christian civility is in many ways a paradox just like the gospel. But if you think about it, that does make sense because Christian civility is merely bringing the gospel to bear on our public discourse. I hope this has been thought-provoking and helpful for you. 
I also wanted to share a couple of new projects from Calvinist Picard. Um, Calvinist Picard Facebook page is back up, and I've also created a group called Ten Ford for discussion and silliness, so you can check it out on Facebook. Visit Theology Mix at theologymix.com and check out my first ebook called An Introduction to Exposition. I'm really excited about that. I actually wrote it, now thinking back, probably seven or eight years ago, and it's gone through a couple of different iterations. It came out as a blog um, blog post individually, and then uh, it's been edited and revamped, and now it's, it, now it's in the form of an ebook. So you can check that out at Theology Mix. I'm excited about that. I'm currently working on another ebook tentatively called uh, The Evangelical Dilemma, but it may be a few months before release, but I am excited about that. I'm also excited to announce Media Blackout Week. You'll probably uh, get tired of hearing about this and seeing it before it's all said and done. Uh, But there's going to be lots more to come on this in the months ahead. Stay tuned. Um, I really do think it's something that we could benefit from. I think it could actually contribute towards Christian civility. I think we just need to hit pause uh, in the current culture that we're in with all of the hostility going back and forth. And as always, you can check out the Captain's blog and leave comments on the first contact page at CalvinistPicard.com. I'll leave you with a few entries from the Twitter hashtag from last year, uh, hashtag Calvinist 4th of July, since we're right up on the 4th of July. Uh, Hashtag Calvinist 4th of July sets off fireworks that spell, quote, America is an idol. (laughs) For Calvinist 4th of July, we read the Institutes and drink draft just like normal, but with miniature flags. And on Calvinist 4th of July, we invite dispensationalists and covenantalists over and we enjoy free theological fireworks. Thanks for taking the time to listen.